Section four of Protagoras by Plato translated by Benjamin Jowett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Johnson. Now then, I said, begin at the beginning and answer me. You think that some men are temperate and yet unjust. Yes, he said, let that be admitted. And temperance is good sense. Yes. And good sense is good counsel in doing injustice. Granted. If they succeed, I said, or if they do not succeed. If they succeed. And you would admit the existence of goods. Yes. And is the good that which is expedient for man? Yes, indeed, he said. And there are some things which may be inexpedient, and yet I call them good. I thought that Protagoras was getting ruffled and excited. He seemed to be setting himself in an attitude of war. Seeing this, I minded my business, and gently said, When you say, Protagoras, that things inexpedient are good, do you mean inexpedient for man only, or inexpedient altogether, and do you call the latter good? Certainly not the last, he replied, for I know of many things, meats, drinks, medicines, and ten thousand other things, which are inexpedient for man, and some which are expedient, and some which are neither expedient nor inexpedient for man, but only for horses, and some for oxen only, and some for dogs, and some for no animals, but only for trees, and some for the roots of trees, and not for their branches, as, for example, manure, which is a good thing when laid about the roots of a tree, but utterly destructive if thrown upon the shoots and young branches. Or I may instance olive oil, which is mischievous to all plants, and generally most injurious to the hair of every animal with the exception of man, but beneficial to human hair and to the human body generally. And even in this application, so various and changeable is the nature of the benefit, that which is the greatest good to the outward parts of a man is a very great evil to his inward parts. And for this reason, physicians always forbid their patients the use of oil in their food, except in very small quantities, just enough to extinguish the disagreeable sensation of smell in meats and sauces. When he had given this answer, the company cheered him. And I said, Protagoras, I have a wretched memory. And when any one makes a long speech to me, I never remember what he is talking about. As then, if I had been deaf, and you were going to converse with me, you would have had to raise your voice. So now, having such a bad memory, I will ask you to cut your answers shorter, if you would take me with you. What do you mean, he said? How am I to shorten my answers? Shall I make them too short? Certainly not, I said, but short enough. Yes, I said. Shall I answer what appears to me to be short enough, or what appears to you to be short enough? I have heard, I said, that you can speak and teach others to speak about the same things at such length that words never seemed to fail, or with such brevity that no one could use fewer of them. Please, therefore, if you talk with me, to adopt the latter or more compendious method. Socrates, he replied, many a battle of words have I fought, and if I had followed the method of disputation which my adversaries desired, as you want me to do, 
I should have been no better than another, and the name of Protagoras would have been nowhere. I saw that he was not satisfied with his previous answers, and that he would not play the part of answerer any more if he could help, and I considered that there was no call upon me to continue the conversation, so I said, Protagoras, I do not wish to force the conversation upon you, if you had rather not, but when you are willing to argue with me in such a way that I can follow you, then I will argue with you. Now you, as is said of you by others and as you say of yourself, are able to have discussions in shorter forms of speech as well as in longer, for you are a master of wisdom, but I cannot manage these long speeches. I only wish that I could. You, on the other hand, who are capable of either, ought to speak shorter, as I beg you, and then we might converse. But I see that you are disinclined, and as I have an engagement which will prevent my staying to hear you at greater length, for I have to be in another place, I will depart, although I should have liked to have heard you. Thus I spoke, and was rising from my seat, when Callias seized me by the right hand, and in his left hand caught hold of this old cloak of mine. He said, We cannot let you go, Socrates, for if you leave us there will be an end of our discussions. I must therefore beg you to remain, as there is nothing in the world that I should like better than to hear you and Protagoras discourse. Do not deny the company this pleasure. Now I had got up, and was in the act of departure. Son of Hipponicus, I replied, I have always admired, and do now heartily applaud and love your philosophical spirit, and I would gladly comply with your request, if I could, but the truth is that I cannot. And what you ask is as great an impossibility to me as if you bade me run a race with Creson of Himera, when in his prime, or with some one of the long or day-course runners. To such a request I should reply that I would fain ask the same of my own legs, but they refuse to comply, and therefore if you want to see Chryson and me in the same stadium, you must bid him slacken his speed to mine, for I cannot run quickly, and he can run slowly, and in like manner if you want to hear me and Protagoras discoursing, you must ask him to shorten his answers, and keep to the point, as he did at first. If not, how can there be any discussion? For discussion is one thing, and making an oration is quite another, in my humble opinion. But you see, Socrates, said Callias, that Protagoras may fairly claim to speak in his own way, just as you claim to speak in yours. Here Alcibiades interposed, and said, That, Callias, is not a true statement of the case. For our friend Socrates admits that he cannot make a speech, in this he yields the palm to Protagoras. But I should be greatly surprised if he yielded to any living man in the power of holding and apprehending an argument. Now, if Protagoras will make a similar admission, and confess that he is inferior to Socrates in argumentative skill, that is enough for Socrates. But if he claims a superiority in argument as well, let him ask and answer, not, when a question is asked, slipping away from the point, 
and instead of answering making a speech at such length that most of his hearers forget the question at issue not that socrates is likely to forget i will be bound for that although he may pretend in fun that he has a bad memory and socrates appears to me to be more in the right than protagoras that is my view and every man ought to say what he thinks when alcibiades had done speaking some one critias i believe went on to say o prodicus and hippias Callias appears to me to be a partisan of protagoras and this led alcibiades who loves opposition to take the other side but we should not be partisans either of socrates or of protagoras let us rather unite in entreating both of them not to break up the discussion prodicus added that critias seems to me to be well said for those who are present at such discussions ought to be impartial hearers of both the speakers remembering however that impartiality is not the same as equality for both sides should be impartially heard and yet an equal need should not be assigned to both of them but to the wiser a higher meed should be given and a lower to the less wise and i as well as critias would beg you protagoras and socrates to grant our request which is that you will argue with one another and not wrangle for friends argue with friends out of goodwill but only adversaries and enemies wrangle and then our meeting will be delightful for in this way you who are the speakers will be most likely to win esteem and not praise only among us who are your audience for esteem is a sincere conviction of the hearers souls but praise is often an insincere expression of men uttering falsehoods contrary to their conviction and thus we who are the hearers will be gratified and not pleased for gratification is of the mind when receiving wisdom and knowledge but pleasure is of the body when eating or experiencing some other bodily delight thus spoke prodicus and many of the company applauded his words hippias the sage spoke next he said all of you who are here present i reckon to be kinsmen and friends and fellow-citizens by nature and not by law for by nature like is akin to like whereas law is the tyrant of mankind and often compels us to do many things which are against nature how great would be the disgrace then if we who know the nature of things and are the wisest of the hellenes and as such are met together in this city which is the metropolis of wisdom and in the greatest and most glorious house of this city should have nothing to show worthy of this height of dignity but should only quarrel with one another like the meanest of mankind i do pray and advise you protagoras and you socrates to agree upon a compromise let us be your peacemakers and do not you socrates aim at this precise and extreme brevity in discourse if protagoras objects but loosen and let go the reins of speech that your words may be grander and more becoming to you neither do you protagoras go forth on the gale with every sail set out of sight of land into an ocean of words but let there be a mean observed by both of you do as i say 
and let me also persuade you to choose an arbiter or overseer or president he will keep watch over your words and will prescribe their proper length this proposal was received by the company with universal approval callias said that he would not let me off and they begged me to choose an arbiter but i said that to choose an umpire of discourse would be unseemly for if the person chosen was inferior then the inferior or worse ought not to preside over the better or if he was equal neither would that be well for he who is our equal will do as we do and what will be the use of choosing him and if you say let us have a better then to that i answer that you cannot have any one who is wiser than protagoras and if you choose another who is not really better and whom you only say is better to put another over him as though he were an inferior person would be an unworthy reflection on him not that as far as i am concerned any reflection is of much consequence to me let me tell you then what i will do in order that the conversation and discussion may go on as you desire if protagoras is not disposed to answer let him ask and i will answer and i will endeavour to show at the same time how as i maintain he ought to answer and when i have answered as many questions as he likes to ask let him in like manner answer me and if he seems to be not very ready at answering the precise question asked of him you and i will unite in entreating him as you entreated me not to spoil the discussion and this will require no special arbiter all of you shall be arbiters this was generally approved and protagoras though very much against his will was obliged to agree that he would ask questions and when he had put a sufficient number of them that he would answer in his turn those which he was asked in short replies he began to put his questions as follows i am of opinion socrates he said that skill in poetry is the principal part of education and this i conceive to be the power of knowing what compositions of the poets are correct and what are not and how they are to be distinguished and of explaining when asked the reason of the difference and i propose to transfer the question which you and i have been discussing to the domain of poetry we will speak as before of virtue but in reference to a passage of a poet now simonides says to scopas the son of creon the thessalian hardly on the one hand can a man become truly good built four square in hands and feet and mind a work without a flaw do you know the poem or shall i repeat the whole there is no need i said for i am perfectly well acquainted with the ode i have made a careful study of it very well he said and do you think that the ode is a good composition and true yes i said both good and true but if there is a contradiction can the composition be good or true no not in that case i replied and is there not a contradiction he asked reflect well my friend i have reflected and does not the poet proceed to say i do not agree with the word of pittacus albeit the utterance of a wise man hardly can a man be good now you will observe that this is said by the same poet 
I know it. And do you think, he said, that the two sayings are consistent? Yes, I said, I think so. At the same time, I could not help fearing that there might be something in what he said. And you think otherwise? Why, he said, how can he be consistent in both? First of all, premising as his own thought, hardly can a man become truly good, and then a little further on in the poem, forgetting and blaming Pittacus, and refusing to agree with him, when he says, hardly can a man be good, which is the very same thing, and yet when he blames him, who says the same with himself, he blames himself, so that he must be wrong either in his first or his second assertion. Many of the audience cheered and applauded this, and I felt at first giddy and faint, as if I had received a blow from the hand of an expert boxer, when I heard his words and the sound of the cheering. And to confess the truth, I wanted to get time to think what the meaning of the poet really was, so I turned to Prodicus and called him. Prodicus, I said, Simonides is a countryman of yours and you ought to come to his aid. I must appeal to you, like the river Scamander in Homer, who when beleaguered by Achilles, summons the Samoyas to aid him, saying, Brother dear, let us both together stay the force of the hero. Parentheses, Iliad, end of parentheses. And I summon you, for I am afraid that Protagoras will make an end of Simonides. Now is the time to rehabilitate Simonides, by the application of your philosophy of synonyms, which enables you to distinguish will and wish, and make other charming distinctions like those which you drew just now, and I should like to know whether you would agree with me, for I am of opinion that there is no contradiction in the words of Simonides, and first of all I wish that you would say whether, in your opinion, Prodicus, being, is the same as becoming. Not the same, certainly, replied Prodicus. Did not Simonides first set forth as his own view that hardly can a man become truly good? Quite right, said Prodicus. And then he blames Pittacus, not, as Protagoras imagines, for repeating that which he says himself, but for saying something different from himself. Pittacus does not say as Simonides says, that hardly can a man become good, but hardly can a man be good. And our friend Prodicus would maintain that being, Protagoras, is not the same as becoming. And if they are not the same, then Simonides is not inconsistent with himself. I dare say that Prodicus and many others would say, as Hesiod says, On the one hand, hardly can a man become good, for the gods have made virtue the reward of toil. But on the other hand, when you have climbed the height, then, to retain virtue, however difficult the acquisition, is easy. Parentheses, works and days. End of parentheses. Prodicus heard and approved. But Protagoras said, Your correction, Socrates, involves a greater error than is contained in the sentence which you are correcting. Alas, I said, Protagoras, then I am a sorry physician, 
and do but aggravate a disorder which i am seeking to cure such is the fact he said how so i asked the poet he replied could never have made such a mistake as to say that virtue which in the opinion of all men is the hardest of all things can be easily retained well i said and how fortunate are we in having prodicus among us at the right moment for he has a wisdom protagoras which as i imagine is more than human and of very ancient date and may be as old as simonides or even older learned as you are in many things you appear to know nothing of this but i know for i am a disciple of his and now if i am not mistaken you do not understand the word hard parentheses, shelipon, end of parentheses, in the sense which simonides intended and i must correct you as prodicus corrects me when i use the word awful parentheses, deanon, end of parentheses, as a term of praise if i say that protagoras or any one else is an awfully wise man he asks me if I am not ashamed of calling that which is good awful, and then he explains to me that the term awful is always taken in a bad sense, and that no one speaks of being awfully healthy or wealthy, or of awful peace, but of awful disease, awful war, awful poverty, meaning by the term awful evil. And I think that Simonides and his countrymen, the Chians, when they spoke of hard meant evil or something which you do not understand let us ask prodicus for he ought to be able to answer questions about the dialect of simonides what did he mean prodicus by the term hard evil said prodicus and therefore i said prodicus he blames pittacus for saying hard is the good just as if that were equivalent to saying evil is the good yes he said that was certainly his meaning and he is twitting pittacus with ignorance of the use of terms which in a lesbian who has been accustomed to speak a barbarous language is natural do you hear protagoras i asked what our friend prodicus is saying and have you an answer for him you are entirely mistaken prodicus said protagoras and i know very well that simonides in using the word hard meant what all of us mean not evil but that which is not easy that which takes a great deal of trouble of this i am positive i said i also incline to believe protagoras that this was the meaning of simonides of which our friend prodicus was very well aware but he thought that he would make fun and try if you could maintain your thesis for that simonides could never have meant the other is clearly proved by the context in which he says that god only has this gift now he cannot surely mean to say that to be good is evil when he afterwards proceeds to say that god only has this gift and that this is the attribute of him and of no other for if this be his meaning prodicus would impute to simonides a character of recklessness which is very unlike his countrymen and i should like to tell you i said what i imagine to be the real meaning of simonides in this poem if you will test what in your way of speaking would be called my skill in poetry 
or if you would rather, I will be the listener. To this proposal Protagoras replied, As you please, and Hippias, Prodicus, and the others told me by all means to do as I proposed. Then now, I said, I will endeavour to explain to you my opinion about this poem of Simonides. There is a very ancient philosophy which is more cultivated in Crete and Lacedaemon than in any other part of Hellas, and there are more philosophers in those countries than anywhere else in the world. This, however, is a secret which the Lacedaemonians deny, and they pretend to be ignorant, just because they do not wish to have it thought that they rule the world by wisdom, like the sophists of whom Protagoras was speaking and not by valour of arms, considering that if the reason of their superiority were disclosed, all men would be practising their wisdom, and this secret of theirs has never been discovered by the imitators of Lacedaemonian fashions in other cities, who go about with their ears bruised in imitation of them, and have the caestus bound on their arms, and are always in training, and wear short cloaks for they imagine that these are the practices which have enabled the Lacedaemonians to conquer the other Hellenes. Now, when the Lacedaemonians want to unbend and hold free conversation with their wise men, and are no longer satisfied with mere secret intercourse, they drive out all these Lacanizers, and any other foreigners who may happen to be in their country, and they hold a philosophical seance unknown to strangers. And they themselves forbid their young men to go out into other cities. In this they are like the Cretans, in order that they may not unlearn the lessons which they have taught them. And in Lacedaemon and Crete, not only men but also women have a pride in their high cultivation. And hereby you may know that I am right in attributing to the Lacedaemonians this excellence in philosophy and speculation. If a man converses with the most ordinary Lacedaemonian, he will find him seldom good for much in general conversation, but at any point in the discourse he will be darting out some notable saying, terse and full of meaning, with unerring aim, and the person with whom he is talking seems to be like a child in his hands. And many of our own age and of former ages have noted that the true Lacedaemonian type of character has the love of philosophy even stronger than the love of gymnastics. They are conscious that only a perfectly educated man is capable of uttering such expressions. Such were Thales of Miletus, and Pittacus of Mytilene, and Bias of Prien, and our own Solon, and Cleobulus the Lindian, and Myson the Chinean, and seventh in the catalogue of wise men was the Lacedaemonian, Chilo. All these were lovers and emulators and disciples of the culture of the Lacedaemonians, and any one may perceive that their wisdom was of this character, consisting of short, memorable sentences, which they severally uttered, and they met together and dedicated in the temple of Apollo at Delphi, as the first fruits of their wisdom, the far-famed inscriptions which are in all the men's mouths, know thyself and nothing too much why do i say all this i am explaining that this lacedaemonian brevity was the style of primitive philosophy 
now there was a saying of pittacus which was privately circulated and received the approbation of the wise hard is it to be good and simonides who was ambitious of the fame of wisdom was aware that if he could overthrow this saying then as if he had won a victory over some famous athlete he would carry off the palm among his contemporaries and if i am not mistaken he composed the entire poem with the secret intention of damaging pittacus and his saying let us all unite in examining his words and see whether i am speaking the truth simonides must have been a lunatic if in the very first words of the poem wanting to say only that to become good is hard he inserted parentheses greek and parentheses on the one hand parentheses on the one hand to become good is hard end of parentheses there would be no reason for the introduction of parentheses greek end of parentheses unless you suppose him to speak with a hostile reference to the words of pittacus pittacus is saying hard is it to be good and he in refutation of this thesis rejoins that the truly hard thing pittacus is to become good not joining truly with good but with hard not that the hard thing is to be truly good as though there were some truly good men and there were others who were good but not truly good this would be a very simple observation and quite unworthy of simonides but you must suppose him to make a trajection of the word truly greek end of parentheses construing the saying of pittacus thus and let us imagine pittacus to be speaking and simonides answering him o my friends says pittacus hard is it to be good and simonides answers in that pittacus you are mistaken the difficulty is not to be good but on the one hand to become good four square in hands and feet and mind without a flaw that is hard truly this way of reading the passage accounts for the insertion of greek and on the one hand and for the position at the end of the clause of the word truly and all that follows shows this to be the meaning a great deal might be said in praise of the details of the poem which is a charming piece of workmanship and very finished but such minutiae would be tedious i should like however to point out the general intention of the poem which is certainly designed in every part to be a refutation of the saying of pittacus for he speaks in what follows a little further on as if he meant to argue that although there is a difficulty in becoming good yet this is possible for a time and only for a time but having become good to remain in a good state and be good as you pittacus affirm is not possible and is not granted to man god only has this blessing but man cannot help being bad when the force of circumstances overpowers him now whom does the force of circumstance overpower in the command of a vessel not the private individual for he is always overpowered and as one who is already prostrate cannot be overthrown and only he who is standing upright but not he who is prostrate can be laid prostrate so the force of circumstances can only overpower him who at some time or other has resources and not him who is at all times helpless 
the descent of a great storm may make the pilot helpless or the severity of the season the husbandman or the physician for the good may become bad as another poet witnesses the good are sometimes good and sometimes bad but the bad does not become bad he is always bad so that when the force of circumstances overpowers the man of resources and skill and virtue then he cannot help being bad and you Pittacus, are saying hard is it to be good now there is a difficulty in becoming good and yet this is possible but to be good is an impossibility for he who does well is the good man and he who does ill is the bad but what sort of doing is good in letters and what sort of doing makes a man good in letters clearly the knowing of them and what sort of well-doing makes a man a good physician clearly the knowledge of the art of healing the sick but he who does ill is the bad now who becomes a bad physician clearly he who is in the first place a physician and in the second place a good physician for he may become a bad one also but none of us unskilled individuals can by any amount of doing ill become physicians any more than we can become carpenters or anything of that sort and he who by doing ill cannot become a physician at all clearly cannot become a bad physician in like manner the good may become deteriorated by time or toil or disease or other accident the only real doing ill is to be deprived of knowledge but the bad man will never become bad for he is always bad and if he were to become bad he must previously have been good thus the words of the poem tend to show that on the one hand a man cannot be continuously good but that he may become good and may also become bad and again that they are the best for the longest time whom the gods love all this relates to pittacus as is further proved by the sequel for he adds therefore i will not throw away my span of life to no purpose in searching after the impossible hoping in vain to find a perfectly faultless man among those who partake of the fruit of the broad-bosomed earth if i find him i will send you word Parentheses. this is the vehement way in which he pursues his attack upon pittacus throughout the whole poem End of parentheses. but him who does no evil voluntarily i praise and love not even the gods war against necessity all this has a similar drift for simonides was not so ignorant as to say that he praised those who did no evil voluntarily as though there were some who did evil voluntarily for no wise man as i believe will allow that any human being errs voluntarily or voluntarily does evil and dishonourable actions but they are very well aware that all who do evil and dishonourable things do them against their will and simonides never says that he praises him who does no evil voluntarily the word voluntarily applies to himself for he was under the impression that a good man might often compel himself to love and praise another and to be the friend and approver of another and that there might be an involuntary love such as a man might feel to an unnatural father or mother or country or the like 
now bad men when their parents or country have any defects look on them with malignant joy and find fault with them and expose and denounce them to others under the idea that the rest of mankind will be less likely to take themselves to task and accuse them of neglect and they blame their defects far more than they deserve in order that the odium which is necessarily incurred by them may be increased but the good man dissembles his feelings and constrains himself to praise them and if they have wronged him and he is angry he pacifies his anger and is reconciled and compels himself to love and praise his own flesh and blood and simonides as is probable considered that he himself had often had to praise and magnify a tyrant or the like much against his will and he also wishes to imply to pittacus that he does not censure him because he is censorious for i am satisfied he says when a man is neither bad nor very stupid and when he knows justice which is the health of states and is of sound mind i will find no fault with him for i am not given to finding fault and there are innumerable fools Parentheses, implying that if he delighted in censure he might have abundant opportunity of finding fault End of all things are good with which evil is unmingled in these latter words he does not mean to say that all things are good which have no evil in them as you might say all things are white which have no black in them for that would be ridiculous but he means to say that he accepts and finds no fault with the moderate or intermediate state Parentheses. i do not hope he says to find a perfectly blameless man among those who partake of the fruits of the broad-bosomed earth if i find him i will send you word in this sense i praise no man but he who is moderately good and does no evil is good enough for me who love and approve every one and here observe that he uses a lesbian word epinemi approve because he is addressing pittacus who love and approve every one voluntarily who does no evil and that the stop should be put after voluntarily but there are some whom i involuntarily praise and love and you pittacus i would never have blamed if you had spoken what was moderately good and true but i do blame you because putting on the appearance of truth you are speaking falsely about the highest matters and this i said prodicus and protagoras i take to be the meaning of simonides in this poem hippias said i think socrates that you have given a very good explanation of the poem but i have also an excellent interpretation of my own which i will propound to you if you will allow me nay hippias said alcibiades not now but at some other time at present we must abide by the compact which was made between socrates and protagoras to the effect that as long as protagoras is willing to ask socrates should answer or that if he would rather answer than that socrates should ask i said i wish protagoras either to ask or answer as he is inclined but i would rather have done with poems and odes if he does not object and come back to the question 
about which i was asking you at first protagoras and by your help make an end of that to talk about the poets seems to me like a commonplace entertainment to which a vulgar company have recourse who because they are not able to converse or amuse one another while they are drinking with the sound of their own voices and conversation by reason of their stupidity raise the price of flute girls in the market hiring for a great sum the voice of a flute instead of their own breath to be the medium of intercourse among them but where the company are real gentlemen and men of education you will see no flute girls nor dancing girls nor harp girls and they have no nonsense or games but are contented with one another's conversation of which their own voices are the medium and which they carry on by turns and in an orderly manner even though they are very liberal in their potations and a company like this of ours and men such as we profess to be do not require the help of another's voice or of the poets whom you cannot interrogate about the meaning of what they are saying people who cite them declaring some that the poet has one meaning and others that he has another and the point which is in dispute can never be decided this sort of entertainment they decline and prefer to talk with one another and put one another to the proof in conversation and these are the models which i desire that you and i should imitate leaving the poets and keeping to ourselves let us try the metal of one another and make proof of the truth in conversation if you have a mind to ask i am ready to answer or if you would rather do you answer and give me the opportunity of resuming and completing our unfinished argument end of part four recording by kevin johnson